The presenting sponsor of the Millennial Politics Podcast is Tomka Designs, a company that I personally support. Tomka was established by two aid workers and a fashion designer who were sick and tired of seeing Western brands exploiting the people and places where clothing is made. They literally traveled the world to dig deep into fashion manufacturing, visiting fabric mills and factories, and handpicking the most ethical partners before a single piece of clothing was made. The best part about Tomga is that, aside from being a positive impact business, their designs are stunning. If you're like me, you'll fall in love with their colorful prints and impossibly soft, eco-friendly fabrics. If you go to www.tomgadesigns.com, that's T-A-M-G-A Designs, you can try it out for yourself. And if you use the discount code MP15, our friends at Tomga will give you 15% off. Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And today I'm joined by Seti Warren, mayor of Newton, Massachusetts, and Democratic candidate for governor. Thanks for coming on. Great to be on, Jordan. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you on. So for starters, could you tell us about your background and why you decided to run for governor? Yes. um, And thanks for, again, having me on. Uh, Look, you know, I believe at this moment uh, we are at a generational uh, moment, if you will. Uh, And there are three things that really drove me into this race uh, for governor in the Commonwealth, and they have to do with my background. One, uh, my time in the military. I enlisted uh, in the Navy a little bit after 9-11 because America was under attack, uh, and I'm a third-generation combat veteran. Um, I had a did a year-long deployment in Iraq from 2007 to 2008. And in that year, uh, during that year, uh, there are a number of things that have stuck with me since that time frame. Uh, One, an appreciation for the men and women uh, that serve, that do multiple tours of duty, uh, some of whom come back injured, some of whom don't come home at all. Uh, Second was being on that base and living with and working with uh, people, doing missions with, Uh, people that in certain circumstances had nothing in common with me, people of different political persuasions, people of uh, different races, religions, backgrounds, uh, people from different parts of the country, uh, LGBTQ, all together working, and we couldn't afford not to work together to get through that year. That stuck with me, Uh, and that has always been uh, part of who I am, is working with other people that have, have big differences and getting things accomplished. Uh, the second thing, uh, Jordan, that drove me into this race, and I think we need to do the same thing right now in the Commonwealth and in the country. The second thing that drove me into this race uh, have been my eight years as mayor of the city of Newton, Massachusetts. Um, it, it's been an honor uh, to serve as, as mayor. Uh, when I made the decision to run, when I got home uh, from Iraq in 2008, uh, and by way of background, my wife and I uh, actually had our first child during that deployment. Um, and so when I got home to raise my family in 2008, uh, my city had a $40 million structural deficit that was projected. Uh, we had uh, two of the worst condition school buildings in the state, uh, no rainy day or reserve fund. Uh, so I decided to run. A lot of 
Uh, really smart political people told me not to do it because they didn't think I could win. I'd never been in political office before. Of course, I had had the opportunity to work at the national level, uh, worked in the Clinton administration, uh, was a White House staffer. Uh, I ran FEMA for New England uh, for President Clinton, and I worked for Senator Kerry for four years um, when he was in the United States Senate. But I'd never run for office. Me and my campaign uh, knocked on 11,000 doors in that race, and I won that campaign by 469 votes. In the eight years since I've been mayor, uh, we've eliminated the $40 million structural deficit uh, we grew a rainy day fund that didn't exist to $22 million, um, and we uh, are building five new schools in the next six years. Really proud of that accomplishment. Two reasons I always point to uh, that has how we got it done. One is every one of my budgets were based on outcomes for people, um, and I wasn't afraid to raise revenue. I put a tax package um, on uh, uh, the ballot the same year as my reelection to raise revenue for schools and teachers and public safety and infrastructure. Wasn't afraid to do that. Those, that, those ballot measures passed, um, and uh, we were very successful in the eight years and really uh, turning things around. The same applies in government. You know, when I look at the national government um, and I look at my state government here, uh, the budgets that we produce need to be based on outcomes for people, the people of the country, people of the Commonwealth, where I live today, where I live. Um, and second, we can't be afraid to ask people to contribute more, particularly those that have more, to address the, the, the needs that we have in our state um, as well. The third thing is my family, uh, Jordan. Um, as I said, I'm a, I mentioned I'm a husband and a father. I have two children uh, now, nine and six. Um, and I know where I came from. Neither one of my parents grew up with wealth. Uh, they grew up uh, in New York. Harlem and, and the Bronx. My dad grew up in a tough neighborhood there that was at one time deemed the worst block in America by CBS News because of drugs, gangs, and violence. He got out of life by joining the military, uh, went to Korea, uh, came home, met my mom. They went down south to college, North Carolina a and historically black college, uh, put themselves uh, in harm's way to desegregate the south. They sat at uh, lunch counters and movie theaters uh, to desegregate in Greensboro. Uh, and my dad found Newton Mass because he was looking for higher ed. And he purchased the home where I grew up uh, with my two sisters in Newton and where I live today with my wife and two children, nine and six. And he used his uh, GI Bill benefits to purchase that home. Uh, this is a government-sponsored program, an investment for people of modest means so they can make ends meet. Sure, their kids can do better than they did. That's not happening in our country today. It's not happening in our commonwealth today. And it's wrong. Um, and that's... This issue of economic uh, inequality, I believe, is the defining issue of our time. Um, and that's why I entered uh, the race for governor. So you said that a lot of really smart political people told you not to run for mayor, and I'm sure that's the case with this race, too. Though 2018 looks quite good for Democrats overall, Republican governors running for re-election in blue northeastern states actually don't seem to have all that much to worry about. Polls show Republican incumbent Charlie Baker cruising to re-election in a landslide, with a November poll showing Baker defeating you 58-24. to 24. A, poll just a, a poll released just a few weeks ago showed Baker with a 74% approval rating, making him the most popular governor in the country. Even for the most hopeful Democrats, the situation in this race seems dire at best. How do you expect to defeat Baker in November, given that it's highly unlikely that his approval ratings will shift dramatically in the coming months? 
Well, two things. You know, I always tell people when they bring up all these questions about approval raising, ratings and things like this, this early in this race, organize like heck. I'm a big believer in uh, grassroots organizing, going person to person, neighbor to neighbor. And the second thing is telling the truth, you know, being honest about the hard, complicated problems we have and challenges and telling the truth about how we're going to get there. I mean, and, and the last thing I would say is, you know, we got to make sure people know what Charlie Baker's record is. And, and we have a very different view of where I believe the Commonwealth needs to go. You know, one of the places that uh, one of the things I did when I announced for governor back in May, going back to this issue of economic inequality, by the way, Massachusetts is among the top five states um, in regard to economic inequality. Uh, we're actually one of the top places when it comes to this huge economic divide uh, a small percentage of people doing really well, everyone else uh, struggling. Um, one of the things I proposed was putting in place a single-payer healthcare system here in the state of Massachusetts so that people can afford um, and access quality healthcare. One of the great things about Massachusetts, we have quality doctors. Uh, 98% of folks have some sort of insurance, which is really uh, quite uh, remarkable in regard uh, to other uh, uh, states in the country. But we're second highest uh, as far as expense. We've got to make sure we have affordable health care uh, for people. Charlie Baker uh, is right in line with the folks down in Washington, the Republicans. Their answer to controlling costs for people is either kicking people off of health care or making it more expensive for some of our most vulnerable uh, citizens to afford and access uh, health care. Charlie Baker embraces that same thinking. Charlie Baker proposed last week uh, in his state of the uh, state address that uh, we were doing quite well here and our, balance, our budget was balanced. The very next day, he proposed removing 140,000 people off of uh, our Medicaid system here so it would be more expensive for them to afford health care. Some of those vulnerable people in our state. Uh, so there are real differences. This election is about choices. Uh, when I think about uh, the opioid addiction crisis here in the state of Massachusetts and across the country, uh, one of the staggering uh, things that... I know here in the state, since 2014, 6,000 people, uh, Jordan, uh, have died of opioid addiction. Um, in 2014, Governor Deval Patrick uh, declared a state of emergency. And, and since that time, 6,000 people have died. Over five people a day are dying of opioid addiction here in the state of Massachusetts. 250,000 people are living with addiction. And uh, the answers coming out of Washington around this crisis are uh, or declaring a state of emergency, but not giving the resources uh, to address it. Charlie Baker sits on a panel appointed by Donald Trump, run by Kellyanne Conway right now, uh, that did just that, declared a state of emergency, didn't provide the resources. Here in the state of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker is doing the exact same thing. Uh, we have a crisis happening. We need to make sure people are, are being treated. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I started a series of Roundtables and town halls to shine a light on this. We, that, we don't just need education and prevention, but we really need resources for treatment. And, it, and it's going to mean asking people to contribute more money that are doing well. We have a booming economy in and around the greater Boston area. We ought to ask people uh, making um, a lot of money in this economy that are benefiting from the Trump uh, tax bill. That was a giveaway for multinational corporations and extreme wealth to contribute more to address things like the opiate addiction crisis. So 
there's a real difference here. As we get deeper to this campaign, uh, Jordan, and we start to look at Charlie Baker's record, his uh, ideological bet, which is a right-wing Republican ideology, uh, versus what I believe we need to do here in the state is, is ask people to contribute more, be progressive about our thinking and addressing uh, uh, the needs of our people. Uh, I believe we will be successful and we'll implement a real grassroots strategy to get there. Mm -hmm. So in terms of health care, how do you propose that you implement single payer on a statewide level? Well, uh, there are four principles that I've uh, put forth in regard to single payer health care. As I mentioned, you know, we have we are very lucky here in Massachusetts. We have some some great innovations in healthcare. We have a really good percentage of people that are covered. Uh, the the challenge is expense for people, um, and so four principles. Number one, I believe uh, very strongly our healthcare system needs to be based on health outcomes for people. Um, it, it, second, it needs to be accessible to people no matter where they live. Third, uh, we need to make sure it's affordable, and fourth. We've got to make sure people have the right kind of coverage because just because you have insurance doesn't mean you have the right kind of coverage to keep you healthy. If we put these principles in place, we should be reducing costs not by making it more expensive for average everyday people here in the Commonwealth in the state of Massachusetts uh, to afford health care, but, but reducing costs to administrative costs, uh, insurance companies, and uh, reducing costs uh, by reducing uh, prescription drug uh, costs as well. Um, I've been listening to and talking to people all around the country uh, in regard to the challenges of, of healthcare, how one might put in place a single-payer system. I was really uh, proud to get the endorsement of former Governor Pete Shumlin, uh, who attempted to institute single-payer in Vermont uh, and fell short because of a variety of reasons, but he's been an advisor to me. Um, he believes that that we have the best chance, really, to model a single-payer system um, here in Massachusetts because of the assets we have. Um, and so I believe we can do it. It's complex to do, complicated to do, but I believe Massachusetts could be a model um, and putting in place a single-payer system uh, in regard to the rest of the country. Going to the opioid epidemic, could you go uh, into a little more details about your plan? Yes. So. Uh, what I started uh, several weeks ago, Jordan, was a series of conversations um, and listening and shining a light on this epidemic. I, uh, as a mayor, heard from people uh, who uh, were addicted, uh, people in recovery, uh, people who have lost people. And then, of course, as a gubernatorial candidate, I've traveled to over 150 communities. There's not been one setting over the last several months where I haven't heard someone say they've lost someone to addiction. Uh, they're in recovery. And what are you going to do about this crisis because not enough is being done? So I made a decision uh, to start a series of town halls and roundtables. And uh, we, uh, the purpose being is to hear directly from people on the ground level about what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, uh, eliciting the best thinking and ideas on how to address opioid addiction, shining a light on the fact that we need to take the stigma away from opioid addiction. Yes, we need prevention. Yes, we need education, but we need to treat. Um, and then third, shining a light on the fact is that we, don't, we need additional resources for treatment. Uh, so 
my intention around uh, these conversations was is to listen. Over the next two uh, months or so, we'll be putting out a very uh, robust policy plan to address it. But here's what I do know, and here's what I've learned thus far. We've done eight uh, so far. Yes, uh, on January 27th, we held uh, an, an opioid town hall, addiction town hall, in New Bedford, Massachusetts, one of the places that's been uh, hard hit uh, by it, uh, by 8th. So here's what I'm hearing, uh, Jordan. I'm hearing uh, a, a multitude of things. One, there are not enough detox, detox beds uh, here in the state of Massachusetts. If people do get into detox, uh, the stays are not long enough. In some cases, it's two, three, four days when people come out. When people come out, there's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there uh, for families, for the individual. And when I say nothing there, there's nothing there in regard to community-based lifelong services. There's nothing there, there as far as housing. Um, and there's nothing there as far as the kind of wraparound support services one would need uh, to uh, be successful in recovery. So we know uh, that uh, we're going to have to invest additional resources into this crisis if we're truly going uh, to treat people. As I mentioned, 250,000 people uh, are living with opioid addiction, and we know that those numbers are growing. Over 70 people a day uh, in the state of Massachusetts are, are becoming addicted to opioids. So this is not stopping. This is not uh, reversing itself. Uh, we've got to invest. And this is what I say, we know part of this is uh, investing more, but we also know that this is at a cost of $10 billion annually to the state of Massachusetts in criminal justice costs, in healthcare costs, and lost productivity. Uh, we're not investing enough. We've got to ask people who are doing really well in this economy to contribute more, Jordan, uh, to, address the, to address this issue and provide the supports needed at the community-based level. As you said, the civil rights movement was a huge part of your parents' lives. Could you tell us more about how their experiences shaped your perspective on civil rights and what your civil rights platform is? Yes, um, and that's, that's a great question. So part of uh, what has driven me throughout my entire life, um, and my parents echoed this in our household, was not to embrace the status quo. Um, and if we, if we embrace the status quo, we are falling behind. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, um, before he died, uh, delivered a speech uh, called, Where Do We Go From Here? And my parents very much embraced this thinking of Dr. King's last thinking, which was two parts. One, uh, he acknowledged the progress that has been made, Dr. King did, um, in the form of bringing down Jim Crow, uh, putting in place a Civil Rights Act, so on and so forth, that he was a part of uh, putting in place. But he acknowledged the fact the next frontier of uh, economic justice was dealing with economic inequality. This is a 1968, Jordan. Dr. King, um, as you know, uh, the, the evening that he died, the days that he died, he was with uh, striking with Janet uh, uh, sanitation workers, uh, to give them a fair wage, give them a fair shot. Uh, this idea that we should, and, and Dr. King said, we must fight the forces of those who want to keep the status quo in place. He said that. He talked about that in one of his last speeches before he died. My 
parents embraced this thinking. Certainly as young people who sat at those lunch counters, my father went to jail three times uh, as uh, part of those sit-ins. This was a part of my household growing up. Uh, the fact that as a, a African-American male, uh, myself growing up in a city like Newton, with many advantages, certainly a city uh, that was growing up and still is under 3% black, uh, I needed to continue that legacy of challenging the status quo and not being afraid to do so uh, and, and really embracing uh, the idea that this country can progress if we do make people feel uncomfortable sometimes about some of the hard truths. Uh, about what we need to do. And, and, and so this thinking um, is certainly a part of who I am as a human being. It's why I've made the decisions to be in public life, really. Uh, most of my career, it's why I made certain decisions as mayor to give people opportunity. And it's why I'm in this race for governor at this moment. We must not embrace uh, what many people want us to here in our state, uh, including this governor. Uh, the status quo and the idea that we must embrace low expectations. We can, the idea that we cannot or should not be doing more to address the opioid crisis. Uh, I, education, Jordan, you know, I, one of the things I'm passionate about is education. It's certainly a part of the opportunity for people to be successful. I believe in free public college, Jordan, uh, putting that in place at the state and community college level here in Massachusetts lifelong with apprenticeships and internships. We got to be honest about the fact that people cannot afford uh, to work their way through school anymore. People are being crushed by student debt. 21% of people that start higher education don't finish because they can't. They don't have the money to. And we have to have be honest about the fact that people need to go be able to go back uh, to get additional education to make ends meet in our economy. This is what I talk about when I say challenging the status quo and low expectations. Uh, this in Massachusetts, Jordan, we have a ballot initiative. Uh, it's called the Fair Share Tax Amendment. It's also known as Millionaire's Tax. It's going to be on the ballot in the fall, uh, same time as the governor's race. It's asking people making a million dollars a year or more uh, to pay, contribute more in taxes so that we can pay for education and transportation. We can upgrade them. Uh, Charlie Baker is against uh, the Fair Share Tax Amendment. He continues to say no new revenue. He continues to say uh, uh, no new tax and broad-based broad, broad taxes. He continues to push things like privatization. He's, this isn't personal. You know, it's, we have to be honest about what the direction of our state needs to be in, where it is now, and we have to be uh, willing and have the courage to challenge the status quo. And that is what has stayed with me, been ingrained with me, uh, with my parents' work and their thinking and certainly uh, the way I think about what we need to be doing today. So in terms of challenging the status quo, something that blue cities and even some states have done in response to the Trump administration's assault on immigrants is declare sanctuary status. This is, of course, a temporary solution. Uh, the problem can only truly be dealt with at the federal level. But at least for now, do you want Massachusetts to be a sanctuary state? And if so, what exactly would you do to implement sanctuary status? Well, I absolutely do think we need uh, to have uh, Safe Communities Act in implemented in Massachusetts, which reflects uh, 
sanctuary city uh, ordinances and laws at the state level. There's actually, Jordan, legislation in um, our legis state legislature right now uh, being debated, uh, being looked at, being examined. Uh, and in Massachusetts, it's called the Safe Communities Act. Uh, we need to implement it. How do you implement it? I would implement it the same way I implemented it um, at a local level in my hometown, Newton, Massachusetts. We put in place a welcoming cities ordinance that reflects uh, sanctuary cities uh, ordinances and laws uh, a little under a year ago. And I just want to share uh, just a quick uh, story about this because I think it's important part of how I th we need to lead at this moment. Uh, and, and I'm going to start it by saying, talking about President Trump for a minute. You know, one of the things that I believe is that one of the worst things President Trump has done has made neighbors into enemies. And uh, one of the things I did coming out of uh, the election was, was sure to uh, tell people we must push back against any bigotry, racism, xenophobic, uh, language or policies that come out of this White House, whether it's uh, the ban for transgender people to serve in the military, that's wrong, it's un-American, it doesn't make us more safe, it makes us less safe. The Muslim ban, certainly the uh, attempt, as we're talking about now, to federalize our police officers, all these things are wrong, they're bigoted, they're, uh, they go against American values. I've been standing up against it as a mayor, I've been doing it, standing up against this as a, as a gubernatorial candidate at the same time. There are people that voted for Donald Trump that did not vote for him for those reasons. In my hometown, uh, there are 7,000 people that voted for Donald Trump in the city of Newton. I know many of them. Some of them uh, worked at City Hall. I used to see them every day when I was the mayor. Some of them are parents of kids my kids play with. Uh, there are 93 communities that went for Donald Trump here in the state of Massachusetts in the last election. Donald Trump got more votes than Charlie Baker did, our current governor. Uh, we've got to figure out how to how to reach out to those people. One of the things I did concretely, and this leads to the Sanctuary City conversation, I brought together uh, uh, three Clinton supporters and three Trump supporters shortly after the election for the sole purpose of trying to figure out where we go from here as a community. Um, it was a remarkable dinner. I didn't know where it was going to end up, uh, but they, it turned out they had more in common than they did not. One of the things that came out of that Trump-Clinton dinner it was very concrete. As I started to work on the sanctuary, the sanctuary city type ordinance or welcoming city ordinance in the city of Newton putting in place. Some city councilors came to me, Democratic uh, activists came to me and, said, and asked me to put it in place. So I started that work. I started working with our police chief and others. One of the people from that Trump-Clinton dinner, a woman named Ginny Gardner, reached out to me and said, look, I promise you at that dinner I would not come out and make any assumptions or attack you unless I understood what you were what doing. Uh, and try to and try to put the sanctuary city uh, ordinance in place. She said, so what are you doing? So I explained it. I said, I don't want our police officers uh, acting as ICE agents federalized by Donald Trump, uh, really doing the opposite of what one might do, um, having undocumented people afraid to report if they're a victim of crime or witnesses crime to our police. Jenny Gardner ended up not only supporting my position, she ended up, she's a Trump supporter, Jenny Gardner, she ended up campaigning to get this ordinance passed in my city. She went to Republican City Committee. She convinced some city councilors. I have 24 city councilors. She convinced some city councilors to support it. We ended up uh, with 19 co-doctors. We got it passed on 19 votes. I credit her uh, with that. But 
How do you get it passed? What I would do as governor is exactly what I did as mayor. I would be reaching out to town managers, mayors, people on all sides of the, the aisle, police chiefs, convening, making sure they understand uh, that this legislation actually makes us more safe uh, rather than less safe. Uh, and I'd be pushing to get that legislation passed uh, using the bully pulpit of the governor's office, just like I did as mayor of Newton. So lastly, how can folks get involved in your campaign and where can they find you online? Um, they can find me online uh, by going to settywarren.com, uh, S-E-T-T-I-W-A-R-R-E-N.com, um, and they can, they can find me there, or at Seti Warren. Uh, and look, you know, one of the things, Jordan, I just want to mention, this election is about choices. Um, shortly after we passed that ordinance in Massachusetts, in Newton, Governor Baker actually submitted a deportation bill that would actually make it illegal for cities like Newton uh, to uh, have uh, these uh, ordinances in place, or rather allow for Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions to federalize police officers, not make it illegal. And he uses the same language that Baker does in the executive summary of his deportation bill. So again, these elections are about choices. Uh, these elections are about what kind of commonwealth we want to be. Are we a welcoming state for people of uh, undocumented uh, origin or not? Are we a, a state that's going to deal with opioids in a real way and education in a real way uh, by asking people to contribute more or not. Here, here are the choices we have. The same thing at the national level, Jordan. Same thing at the national level. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today and discussing your candidacy. Thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Again, I'm Jordan Valerie, Editor-in-Chief of Millennial Politics. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Val Allen. Make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media, subscribe to our newsletter, and check out our merch at millennialpolitics.co, and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening.